feeling like you're juggling endless tasks from content to proposals and everything in between? And if just thinking about adding content marketing to your list overwhelms you even more, I've got something for you. Introducing the Ultimate AEC Content Marketing Starter Kit, your jumpstart to content marketing success. It's all about the four crucial decisions to clarify your plan and kickstart your content creation journey. I've walked your path since 2005, managing marketing and proposal deadlines. That's why I've crafted this kit to make your journey just a bit smoother. Let's face it, just getting started is often the hardest part, especially with new strategies. The Ultimate AEC Content Marketing Starter Kit leads you through those vital early steps. It's about getting growth clarity, understanding your dream audience, and turning your existing content into pure gold. Are you ready to jumpstart your content marketing game? Visit marketerstakeflight.com forward slash starter kit and snag your ultimate AEC content marketing starter kit. Let's conquer the content world one campaign at a time. Grab your starter kit now over at marketerstakeflight.com forward slash starter kit. Hey there, welcome to the Marketers Take Flight podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Diven, founder of Marketers Take Flight and the creator of the Proposal Pro course. I am obsessed with helping AEC marketers just like you put order back into the proposal process, create winning strategies, and build the confidence and courage to advance your career. Each week, I will be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews to fly through the proposal turbulence and have your career take off. So let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Marketers Take Flight podcast. And I am very, very honored today to have one of my colleagues on, Ms. Raina Blair. She's another senior consultant with Full Sail Partners. So thanks for being here today, Raina. Thank you. Thank you very much. And before we get started in today's topic, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your career path and how you help our clients today. Okay. Well, first of all, I am not in the function of marketing or business development. I am a consultant. As a consultant, I am a seller doer that does put me in the position quite frequently in a a variety of ways in which I'm reaching out to earn new business. I've been a consultant, your colleague, for several years and have been in this business for about six at this point. Previously, I was working in the AEC industry as the financial manager for an engineering firm. That was 13 years, and I thought that I could maybe take the jump and help more people. Previous to that, I worked in software and also not-for-profit organizations. I was born an accountant. I used to play with a tin key instead of Barbie dolls. So it was always sort of destined right, for this type of job. But really in the last six years, what I've taken on is project and production management. So I, I can't tell you the last time I've helped someone with a debit or a credit, but what I am helping with is project delivery. 
And over time, we've seen lots of changes in in the approach to not only the business of delivering projects and design industry, but also how we conduct business around that. And that is what's really brought me into talking with you over the last few months about change and really wanting firms to understand it and see it as a part of the effort, not, not as an aside. Yeah. And like you mentioned, we've both been work. Well, I've been working with Full Sail Partners for over three years now. And I would say we didn't really work that closely up until about eight months ago, I would say, probably, you know, yeah, the beginning yeah. of 2020. We've had a lot of joint client projects together and implementations and transitions. And how I've seen you interact with clients and help them work through these changes. That's when the light bulb moment went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to have Raina on the show because from a marketing and BD perspective, I've worked at several firms where I've tried to bring in a new BD process or just Mm. a BD process and trying to get change, implement change that we know is good for us, but is oftentimes very difficult. So that's through our interactions with our clients and working closely together the last I don't know, eight or nine months now, you bring some valuable insight, I think, through your experience on the project delivery side and teaching and and guiding our clients through that. That's why I wanted to bring you on the show today to help other marketers and business developers. Well, great idea. Thank you for having me. I mean, we're experiencing ourselves in our own Mm -hmm. business a great deal of change. Just the fact that you and I spent the first two years of our working relationship hardly interacting, and now we talk to one another daily at mm-hmm. this point is really a great example of, of what's happening on a macro level. We are finding that organizations are willing to look at things more holistically. You and I have typically been in our own disciplines, myself in project delivery, you in business development, and here we are finding ourselves together talking to the same people in the same meetings on the same projects. And that in in itself is a huge change for us. And for you and I, I think we've gotten on very well. I think we've learned some things from one another and are really using that to move clients forward. So it's been, it's been exciting. It's not always easy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? As we're coordinating, right? You're organized and I'm a little bit hair on fire, but it has been a a really great experience. And I I think we should have a roadshow and kind of show people how it's done because no one expects projects and business development to get along. Mm -hmm. We are proof Mm -hmm. that you can. Yeah, yeah. We can be friends and work together. (laughs) So let's get right into it. So when we think about changing processes or systems in our AEC firms, why is it so hard for our firms to make these changes? I have a joke for you. So you can apply it to any profession, but it goes something like this. What are the two things that design professionals hate the most? The first is the way things are, and the second is change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can substitute any profession. You can, you can just pretty much put that in terms of all humans. We know we don't like a situation, but we are actually more reluctant to change it. It's easier to just go with what you know. 
Mm-hmm. In our industry, in the AEC industry, we are very attached to our traditions. We look at the masters of design, like Frank Lloyd Wright. We take tours of ancient structures, Gothic structures. We're really based in tradition. Even the way that the business organization itself is very structured in tradition. So it's difficult for us to move outside of that. And in this industry, We're taught a lot of things, a lot of standards and principles. And if you go about changing those, in some ways, it feels like you're invalidating those standards and principles. It feels like a rebellion or a rejection of those. And that makes us very reluctant to change. Oftentimes, we are having to change and being faced with change while our mentors are sitting there watching right? So it's not, it's not something that we want to take on easily, especially if there are emotional attachments to what we've come up and what we've come to know. Look, humans are humans, right? <laughs> Every, everything that we learn from the moment we are born up through the time we become professionals is, is a part of our fabric. And to change these things is difficult. It's in our muscle memory. I teach planning, with one of the software products. And I find myself saying to the groups a lot, look, eventually you're going to keep doing this thing until your muscles know what to do long before your brain has to think about it. Now that's an advantage. The problem with that is, is then we get stuck in our ways, right? There are a million Mm -hmm. different terms that we have. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> you, you, you have it because even though our brains are fully capable of thinking, I mean, we're very highly intelligent animals. Our bodies want to do what they're used to. Mm-hmm. You see that mm-hmm. everywhere that you go. It totally fights us. But here's the thing about the design industry. The, the AEC industry. We actually do change quite a bit. We change to save human lives, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our designs get smarter, more efficient, more, more safe <laughs> for us. We change in response to the environment and then things that we have found scientifically to make it better. We are harnessing the power of the sun using windows. I mean, these are things that were definitely not part of the norm 30 years ago, let alone 100 years ago when some of the foundations of this industry were put together. So in some ways, I think that gives us a unique opportunity to just go full on with it. Mm-hmm. Just just say, look, we are changing the world through design. Let's change our own world. And let's redesign the way that we do things for the betterment of ourselves personally, for the organization itself, which then just translate into how the world operates. Nothing is done on this planet without design. We should be the leaders in embracing that change. Absolutely. Wow. That was just so inspiring. I'm just like awestruck. (laughs) So when you're working with a new firm, we engage with clients. Clients come and hire full sale partners to help them with their resource planning, their accounting, their CRM systems. So when you're working with a new firm, whether it's a client or at a new firm, and you know that you have to change their process or their process needs to change, what is your philosophy or how do you approach that? I just wanted to pop in here to personally invite you to download my latest free resource, the Ultimate AEC Content Marketing Starter Kit. If you struggle to get started with your content marketing from not knowing how to start, from having time to create content, 
This starter kit is your secret sauce. In just four key decisions, this kit sets you up for marketing success, even if you're swamped with deadlines. Ready to dive in? Visit marketerstakeflight.com forward slash starter kit and grab yours today. Well, before I get to the philosophy, I will tell you there is always this initial fear, even though I'm like all about change and yeah, you can do it. There's always this initial fear. Is this the time when it doesn't go so well? What if I can't help this group move itself across the line? So I always update my resume just to make sure this is, you know, that I'm ready in case this is my last. Um, (laughs) But in general, I think the first thing I do is just recognize that there is a lot at stake for, for the individuals involved on the team. They've got to learn something new. They've got to turn old habits on their ears, really. And it makes everyone uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. It Doing this for firms oftentimes is walking in the door, knowing that at some point with everybody in the room, I'm going to become the least loved person on the team right? Because I am the embodiment of the change that they're going to have a reaction to. Mm-hmm. And, and Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so knowing that up front, right? Knowing that, that humans don't like change, knowing that they are reluctant for a lot of reasons, and we'll kind of explore some of those reasons later on, but knowing that there's reluctance, I think the first thing that has to happen is understanding where individual members are on what is commonly called in the industry, the change curve. Where are they? This change curve actually looks a lot like the seven stages of grief, depending on which books you read, because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it goes all the way from denial through and beyond acceptance. So finding out where the individual members are on this curve and where the group as a whole is on the curve and, and understanding that people may move back and forth along that curve a little bit Mm -hmm. until you hit a certain point and that really helping them understand that change is, is going to happen, that it needs to happen or assessing whether or not they've actually, they themselves realize the change needs to happen. Okay. There's a gentleman out there, Dr. William Bridges, who started writing about change before it was a buzzword in our industry, before change management was was something that we look at as a discipline. And he's been saying for a long time that your emotions and your attitudes, as they move from that denial to confusion to impatience and enthusiasm, he's saying that everybody goes through all of these at some point in the process. And so the first thing that we have to understand is that even with the people that are willing, the people that have called me in and said, hey, we want to change and we want you to help us change, they're going to have an adverse reaction and that we have to pay attention to it, acknowledge it, face it head on work with it, right? So the first thing that we want to do is make sure that people understand. They understand the need for change, what they're responding to, why it is that this change is being proposed, right? And understanding why isn't enough. Mm -hmm. Because just because I know why we need to change, even if I want the change, there's some anxiety that comes along with that, Lindsay. First of all, maybe if it's a new piece of software or a new process, maybe I'm afraid that I can't do it. 
Mm, Like I'm unable to do it, that I don't have the skills, or maybe I feel like it will make me obsolete. These are some pretty major anxieties for people to have, and everyone has them, right? You you know how to do the job that you're doing today, and now somebody tells you they're going to change your job or your responsibilities to something you don't quite know how to do yet. It's a natural reaction. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So that initial shock to the system is a bit rough. And at that point, when you are in the context of change, you can't answer all of the questions. Sometimes you can't say, well, the change is this, and this is exactly how your life is going to be post the change. Right. Sometimes you're discovering, right? (laughs) This is, this is really tough for people because I think it causes a lot of frustration. And this is one of the places that we need to be very, very careful knowing that we're still conceptualizing what the end goal is or what the end result is going to be. And also the journey to get there. It's important to communicate with people. That is what they're there to help you do, that they're Mm -hmm. involved in that process. Mm -hmm confirm with them that you don't know exactly what the end result looks like confirm with them that we're we're trying a few different things but we know we want to be better for one reason or another mm-hmm. yeah i think too i know that's a really important piece because i know even when i was at my previous firms and now i help with crm implementations making sure that we're working on the process as we're going through the journey so we we don't know what it's going to look like and making sure that to communicate that. I think that's key because some people, I know I even have clients and they're like, well, what's our process going to be when we implement CRM? And it's like, well, I don't know, because I don't know what your development process is. <laughs> We're going to figure that out together. And so having that clear level setting expectations and communicating that at the beginning, because I know sometimes, at least on the marketing side, we might have a brand new, like, okay, we're going to have this new inbound content marketing strategy and these are going to be the results and this is what it's going to be. And so follow this process and well, we don't kind of know, you know, they're kind of aspirations at that point and let's try it. It might be harder to get people to be on board with that. Right, exactly. And some of the writers, the big thinkers on this, will put it in terms that we're uncomfortable with, but it, it is true. You have really got to spend time establishing what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. And there's no better way to put that. We do it with our children. If you're taking care of parents, you're doing it with your parents. You're always having this, this sort of negotiation. If you do this, I will do this, right? And in really establishing what's in it for people <laughs> is, is very important. And you actually do that all along the process. There, there are some thinkers that say, hey, from, from the start of this, when we're, when we're in that initial shock, all the way through and post the stage where the change has been completed and everyone is fully across it, you have to reinforce that change with the with addressing the what's in it for me principle. Mm-hmm. To keep it going to and, and to also encourage the next change to happen when it's important for it to 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 happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But before we before we get there, there's some pretty low points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of I'm thinking of I've got a, a situation right now where everybody 
is across the change. They know why they need to do it. We've even called in experts to confirm that they need to do it. And it doesn't help that there's some regulation from an accounting standpoint that dictates we need to do it, right? It's still a change and it's still different from what what they, they want to do. But there's still this stage, and this is the one we're in right now, where they're trying to negotiate away from the change. I like to call it creative opposition. <laughs> I love that phrase. <laughs> creative opposition is where we start to throw a bunch of what ifs into, into the mix. Well, what if we were to establish this and then you insert some really elongated, very confusing process that they've dreamed up in their heads just to avoid the simpler process, but the ones that change. And that is actually very, very difficult because it's actually at the bottom of this change curve that I'm totally behind. It's like a, it's like an upside down bell curve, if mm-hmm. I can describe it, right? And this is at the bottom. Some writers call it approach avoidance. I like to call it creative opposition. And it's almost as if they're bargaining. They're trying to find a way or a method by which this change can occur in some way that is more comfortable for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can get stuck there. And you have to understand as you are as you're going along that curve that sometimes you spend some time. It is important to hear out those what ifs. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to to kind of entertain them because what you're doing with that is you're actually going on a journey with the individuals as they bargain with themselves. Yeah. And let me give you another example, because when you said approach avoidance or creative opposition, a perfect example came into my mind that happens a lot with CRM implementations. Hmm. Instead of trying to get their doer sellers or seller doers to just enter a contact into the database, they have that person email an admin and then have admin enter a contact into the database. And I said, okay, well now that PM or project manager or architect is now sending an email to an admin, which will probably take that person the same amount of time to enter the contact into the database. And now that is now spending time. So instead of just Mr. or Mrs. Architect, you're going to go into this database or use the Outlook integration or use the app and enter it yourself. So I think that's, is that kind of a good example of That is a perfect example because one of the things that that I think all of us on the planet do when we're trying to address the what's in it for me is we talk about how efficient it will be. Mm-hmm. If they just do it the way that's been, you know, prescribed, right? That t- that change will just make your life so much easier because, you know, in the in the case where why don't we just email reception and they put it in and then email me back, the same person will tell you that they don't want to get excess emails, right? And they don't want to mm-hmm. have to stop what they're doing and wait for somebody else to work. But yet they prescribe a solution that is probably less efficient than what they were doing before, which mm-hmm. was dropping off a business card, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where the telling them just how efficient it is doesn't always work because that is a clue that their mind is not with efficiency. Their mind is, I have to do something in a place that I don't know how to do it. And I am the one that's going to have responsibility. Mm -hmm. That's really tough, Lindsay, Mm -hmm. to accept the responsibility. And it's almost like you have to have a psychology degree 
or like, I don't know, practice doing CIA clearances or something to try to see what people's motivations are when they come up with some of those crazy Yes. And that's just a simplified one. I've had all other, I like to call creative opposition in bargaining suggestions come up in some of my CRM implementation meetings. Yes. It, it's a skill that I think we master somewhere around two and a half. Some <laughs> people become like doctorates in it by the time they get into their 30s. Yes. <laughs> and you don't know it's happening to you. But again, just sort of stopping assessing where this where this individual or a group of individuals might be on the curve and realizing where they are. Now, the good thing about your example, I love your example, is when they start saying, well, we could just email someone down at the front desk and they could put the contacts in. There's a hidden thing in there. They finally have accepted that the contacts need to go into the system. Mm. Right? So, One of the things that we want to do is be very grateful, recognize when we've had those tiny, tiny wins with groups of people. If you can get folks to say, well, somebody else other than me ought to enter contacts in the system, or somebody else other than me ought to put in the estimate to complete hours, you've got them understanding that someone needs to get that into the system. Mm. So you've actually made progress. I never even thought about it that way. So that is a great, that's a great point. It's, it's hard to stay positive because often we've been hovering in that <laughs> in that section for and, a little bit. It's hard to find the, the low right point. Spot. Yeah. And the low <laughs> point of the curve. Yes. 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 Since you said it was a low point, does the curve ever go up? Like what's the upside of this change management curve? So after the creative opposition, Mm-hmm. We start to lose the opposition part. Maybe we're not fully sure we want to make the change and that we want to do what it takes, but we're actually listening at least with one ear. Mm. At that moment where we're turning from the past and albeit very slowly, mm-hmm. <laughs> turning to the future, that, that is what some people call the reorientation or the exploration mode. They've seen the light. Mm-hmm. All of their crazy ideas for, for implementing it have been appropriately and peaceably redirected mm-hmm. into the right solution, right? They actually start to contribute. And mm-hmm. this is where the curve starts to go up. And it's almost maddening how quickly it can go. Because once they get over this hump, suddenly they're contributing in ways that you didn't even solicit. I don't know if you've had situations where, you know, you're trying to do one thing and then all of a sudden somebody goes home overnight, they have an epiphany, the clouds open, the angels are singing and they come back with a 15 point list on what else we should do. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I've had a couple of clients like that and they come back with, okay, we're ready for the automated go, no go form setting up the automated promo number, you know, like just all sorts, like anti-process to now we're processed. Yeah, we want everything automated. Now, that that's actually a fun phase, but sometimes we can actually lose sight of the goal, the one thing that we're changing that may come back to haunt us if we don't control it. Mm-hmm. So this is where, and I know you're super organized, where you start sort of parking things and having this visual list of 
what we want to accomplish, what we have accomplished, and what is parked for later goals when we start the exercise or the journey Mm -hmm. of change all over again, because you have an excitement in people, if you will, you know, as they, they get creative. And maybe you come up with some solutions and you feel like you have a setback because somehow they get in the trench again, right? We're not mm-hmm. sliding back down the curb, but they get a little skeptical. We're not together often in rooms anymore, but it's the point where the group has agreed you need to change and you reasonably agreed to what the solution is. You begin to run through it. It's almost done, right? You've documented it, got it structured, mm-hmm. and the arms are crossed, <laughs> right? And it's a very disheartening what they are doing in that moment is, is they are finally saying goodbye to the old way of doing things. Now, they're not going to go down without a fight, mm-hmm. right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's, what's, that's what that body language is about. And that's what I miss about being in the room with people because there are so many more tells than just, <laughs> than just what people say. And, you know, we're finding those tells, you know, in our Zoom meetings and things like that, but it's a little bit harder pr- to predict and we have to work a little harder, but it's right there at that moment is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You got to address that skepticism. You got to let it run its course. You have to manage it, right? And and you have to, you just really have to acknowledge it for what it is kind of internally, but give it a little bit of energy because that quickly turns is usually just one little detail or one set of situations that they're stuck in that maybe haven't been addressed. And if you can get those individuals talking, when, when they're in that mode, you will start to finally dissolve the rest of the reservations, right? Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that skepticism actually goes into an acceptance, believe it or not. So mm-hmm. you went from being oppositional <laughs> to all of a sudden <laughs> contributing with all this energy and creativity to being a skeptic, and all of a sudden you're accepting, And it is at that point where the productivity starts to rise, the morale over the whole thing starts to rise up. And then you get to another magic point. And that is where they are impatient for it to just be over with. Mm -hmm. Get it done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and sometimes shortcuts are made in this just so they can get it done. But it's important to understand that some of that impatience, that energy is, is, some of it is, I think, fatigue right? Mm-hmm. Going through the process. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they've seen the light, they get it, let's do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Also possible that back there when we were sort of contributing all those random ideas that weren't a part of the change or weren't a part of the, the objective at the moment, once you get them to accept that, they're actually ready for the next. Mm. Yeah, they're ready to move on. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so during this stage is actually where you might actually begin pulling out some of those those parked ideas and starting a new curve Mm -hmm. because you're you're getting pretty high on the the current change curve and you want to use some of that momentum to start another change, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a wave rather than just a curve, (laughs) (laughs) right? And so you can use that to your advantage, some of that impatience. Some of that impatience is actually going to help you finish what you need to finish. And in what I do, usually it's the first time that we can complete a month end using estimate to complete numbers. 
they begin to see it. Now, we know in the background that we've had to do a lot to be able to provide that, that it's not 100% there yet, but we've provided this information to them in a way that they hadn't had before, in a way that challenged them really holistically, and now they're ready to be done with it. They're not wanting to put in that extra work. So then we sort of kind of help them understand all of the underlayment Mm -hmm. that still has to happen, and we're building hope We're taking them along this. We're still curving up, right? We're not at the pinnacle yet, but we're working to build the hope. And we're saying things like, well, you can have this on a regular basis, but to make it happen 10 days sooner, you need to do this. At this point, they already have the tools. You've you've done a really good job of making sure that you've addressed the skepticism in those creative options that are not really options, have, are no longer in their minds. <laughs> so you can sort of work with the group to understand that there is hope that you will get fully there. And in what I do, a second month of project financials produced using the estimate to completion, except for it's five days sooner, Mm. right? So they have the information, they have the feedback that they need, and they're ready to go. They're ready to really finish it. And this is when you come kind of to the top part of the curb, which some say is energy, others say that it's enthusiasm. It's that last bit of a push to finally roll the change out, whatever it is. Now, I make this sound like a months-long process, right? But it's the same curve in something that takes a week as it is in something that takes two years. And for our listeners, I think up what this curve looks like for those who are, are visual. Obviously, we're on a podcast, so we don't have the visual. But Raina shared it with me a couple months ago, and I just that's what prompted this whole podcast episode. So I, I just, I never have seen it laid out that way. And when, and it's like the psychological aspects of change management. And once I understood that, it really helped me work with my clients. And I wish I would have known it, kind of had this understanding years ago when I was working at firms trying to implement processes. Okay. So I'm going to stop our discussion with Raina right here because we are out of time for today's show, but I'm going to continue part two of this conversation that Raina and I had about leading change at your firm. The second part of this episode, we're going to talk about how to get the buy-in you need at your firm to make your changes and some quick ways that you can take if you really need to make change inside your firm. So Raina gives us some suggestions on both of those. That'll be coming up in episode 33 in just a few weeks after this episode airs. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss part two of our interview. And that's it for me today. Okay, bye for now.